do we heal these big rifts in our systems? I went in with my eyes wide open, ready to learn and listen. There's no co-designing without co-deciding. All of these difficult questions are polarities, two options where choosing one or the other is always a mistake. There is more movement than I think people can see. Our elders enable us to see further. Wherever we are in an organisation, we do have the power to contribute to some change. Jono, and welcome to episode 69 of Beyond Consultation. So good to have you here. And today's episode is sponsored by, well, me. Um, yeah, I've just recently rebranded from the Learning Lab to Paul McGregor. And that's been a bit of a journey of recognizing that I don't want to create or lead some big business. And actually, people want to come and work with me. So it's been nice to just rename myself, myself. And of course, it does cost something to put these episodes out there to you. And that's for the amazing Claudia who edits the audio. She does the show notes, contacts the guest, does the invites, all of that sort of stuff. And I was wondering a week or two ago, geez, should I keep this thing going or not? So I want to give a big shout out to two Rachels who happened to get in touch at a similar time. One was Rachel Cole, who posted on LinkedIn. She had just returned from overseas and her post was basically saying, oh, now that I'm back in New Zealand, I really want to connect back into how things are going in this country and that this podcast was one of the most valuable things to help her to reconnect in a deeper way more than just what you see on the front of the news. So kia ora, Rachel. And then another Rachel, Rachel Turner, also from Auckland, who emailed me with her reflections on the episode with Ivan Tava and just sharing how valuable that was to have to people reflecting out loud on some of our cultural differences and how we navigate those. So kia ora to both of those Rachels. Thank you so much for getting in touch because those little things, they keep me going. And I wanted to encourage you listening to share the love with any content creators out there who inspire you. If it's podcast episode, don't just listen listen and then contact the guest or if you read an article and you like it comment because i think creating content like this is like a fire if you put too much fuel on it you can drown it but actually lots of little sticks or logs added regularly over time that's what keeps us going and for me that's a good metaphor for today's interview and it's the second interview that arranged thanks to my good friends at inspiring communities the last one was on the make the move report which was a fantastic report looking at how do we shift how the public sector works with communities and today is almost a little bit of a follow-on to that it's almost a case study if you will of the kind of stuff that we were talking about and unpacking in that conversation and you know, often in politics, we see these big flashy announcements on the TV, the new investments in the budget, and that stuff's great and important. And a lot of change happens underneath all of that. And sometimes it's not immediately visible, but it's there. It's smoldering away with local people adding fuel to the fire bit by bit. So today's interview is with Tracy Shepard, who, amongst other, other things, coordinates a group called Fab Feather. Featherston is a town it's north of wellington and a few years back they wanted to throw off the shackles of how other people perceive featherston you know to really realize what they could see was the town's potential 
to guide them, they were part of the Department of Internal Affairs community-led development program. And that gave them some principles and a process to work with and adapt for themselves. And from that, they had a plan and then they started taking action together. So it was really inspiring in the first part of today's conversation with Tracy. We unpack a bit of that process. What was it like and what helped along the way? And then in the second part of today's conversation, Tracy also leads REAP Aotearoa. And if you haven't heard of REAP, we explain what it is in the episode. And one of the stories I loved that came out of this was some different ways in investing that came through the Ministry of Social Development. And Tracy summed it up as an agency who was willing to invest in the outcomes that they were looking for and not being attached to how those outcomes were achieved. And actually having that tight goal and looseness around how it was uh, carried out meant that far more goodness came out of it than if they had been really tight on everything. So that's probably enough for me to give you a teaser as to the episode. It, the conversation, I think, just got stronger and stronger as we went on. So please do stick with this one to the end. There's some gems right at the end that we unpack around investment. So please welcome to the show, Tracy Shepard. Kia ora, Tracy. It is fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me on this lovely sunny Wednesday afternoon. Hi, lovely to be here. So, Kia Tracy Shepard, tōku ingoa, um, no paitamokai ahau. Kō te tūmu heringa tangata, ahau ki ripao te rua, uh, so nō reira tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Tracy sure. Shepard, I live in Featherstone, so Paitamokai is the is the name of the area. There's there's not a, a traditional marae here in the Featherstone community. The Paitamokai area was an area where local hapu would fish and hunt for kai. And we're trying to adopt Paitamokai as, as the name for Featherstone, as the Māori name for Featherstone. Yeah, my role, my title is Hitumu Heringa Tangata, which is the person who gathers all together. I like to call it the chief cat herder, because working with the 13 reefs around the water is pretty much like herding cats sometimes, but very, mm. very fulfilling work. Yeah, so that's me. I grew up in the Wellington area, went to college in Upper Hutt, have worked in government agencies, worked for the IRD, I don't say that mm -hmm. very often, for a number of years, moved into the sort of the, the tertiary education sector through the Tertiary Education Commission and its predecessor organisation of Skill New Zealand back in the day, last century in fact. My role there was to work with industry training organisations and to manage relationships with them. When I joined the organisation, there were 53 industry training organisations. It was almost oh, wow. like a race to the top. The government of the day was very keen to get lots and lots on board. Um, when I left, they were down to about 12, I think. Mm. So lots of consolidation and measure. I then worked for the Agriculture ITI, or Industry Training Organisation, which became the primary ITI. Yeah. And left there and started working for REAPS, or REAP Wairarapa, in 2016. For uh, people who don't know REAP, what's the acronym? What's the code? Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. So REAP stands for Rural Education Activities Programme. And people go... Oh. Yep, but <laughs> what? Yeah, and a bit of history, yeah. REAPs were established back in the late 70s and early right. 80s 
by the government of the day in a response to rural communities saying that they actually needed mm. more happening and, and more support in their community. So REITs were established back then. 13 REITs were established between 79 and 82, and there have been no REITs established since. Yeah. So that's a really interesting place to be. So they've been around 40-odd years, or a long <laughs> time, and have longevity. REITs are in most communities, or most rural communities, but not all rural communities. So there are some gaps. Canterbury is a good example. Taranaki, the Waikato, parts of the Western Bay of Plenty, yeah. uh, Hawke's Bay, okay. etc. So there are a few gaps around the place. And that's purely yeah. historical and it's purely yeah. based on when they were first established. Yeah. Um, work in their communities, they, they use the context of education to support communities. And that's anything from early childhood through to adult and community yeah. education, everything in between. Yeah. We like yeah. to call it twin cultural wrinkle. It's a good way to describe what we do. I like that. Community-led development is sort of the key to everything we do. Um, So working in that space is is very fulfilling. You're seeing lots of great outcomes being achieved, and you really learn about the power of community. Well, kia ora, Tracy. Thank you for introducing yourself. And I've got this picture now of who you are and where you are and some of the mahi that you've been involved in. And... Yeah, you mentioned right at the start there, you live in Featherston and you're saying we're trying to adopt that Māori name. And I was interested, who who do you mean by we and and what's that process been like? Yeah, so Featherston is fortunate enough to be a partner with the Department of Internal Affairs through the um, community-led development partnership process. Um, As a community, we established this little uh, entity. It's probably the best way to describe it, called Fab Fevi. Uh, Featherstone's um, fondly known as Fevi to locals. Mm-hmm. So Fab Fevi was established uh, five years ago. So we're into year six of the partnerships. We had an extension, which is great. Um, I've been part of that work up until last year, as was my husband, who was also uh, chair of the community board of Featherstone. So mm-hmm. we're very very much involved in things community. One of the things that came out of the big community consultations that Fethi ran was um, a desire to be more bi- bicultural and to really embrace our, our bicultural roots. Haitamalkai mm. is, like I said earlier, the, the name of the area that the local hapu would use or it would, it would use for mm. hunting and gathering of kai. And it's a name that resonates with our community. We we felt that it was appropriate that we should actually, if we're true to the, the mahi of wanting to be bicultural, to adopt that name for the Featherston mm. area in particular. So one of the priorities that came out of our community-led development consultation process was about getting that name registered with Land Information in New Zealand <laughs> as an official name for Featherston. Not replacing Featherston. Because mm. Featherston itself has got a lot of other history um, mm. that sits alongside it, but as a, a, a nod to our bicultural roots as yeah, well. Yeah, and it never has to be either or, Not at all. Um, mm. but I know sometimes it can be controversial changing names. So how have you navigated that potential? Mm. Yeah, good question. So one of the things we've learned from the community-led development partnership approach is about the understanding of community, about what that actually means. 
Yeah. So one of the key things is about not doing things to the community. It's, it's mm. all about doing things with a community. So to be successful, you need the community on board and you need them to participate and you need them mm. to lead, in fact. Mm. Um, and the, the role of Fab Fendi has been to support, not to mm. do. Mm. Having that understanding across our community has been one of the biggest challenges of that process. I believe that there was a view that Fab Fendi would be a thing that did stuff for the community. But actually, right. Fafini was set up to do do things with the community and to support the community to do things for themselves. Why do, do you people. think there was that expectation? I think it's just, oh, how would I describe that? It would be, it's, it's the way things have always been done. Right. So if you think about it, there's always been that master-servant relationship, you know, council to community, government yeah. to a population, government agencies to the service users. You know, it's, it's always yeah. been a... It's never been a, an even relationship, I suppose. There's, there's always mm. been a position of power held by somebody within those relationships. So it's about community really accepting that actually the power's in their hands <laughs> and they're the ones that can do great things for themselves. They don't need to wait for somebody to come and do it. For yeah. Them, you yeah. know, and I'll tell you what, the response of our community through COVID was fantastic. So we, we first locked down in 2020. The Featherstone community wrapped around itself and yeah. people were out there helping their neighbours, making sure everyone had access to Kai, had access to medical services if they needed them, even if they needed their lawns mowed or something <laughs> like that, you know, within a reason, of course, but making sure that we looked after each other as a community. We yeah. established a place for Kai to be donated so it could be distributed. We established firewood being distributed to people that needed it. That was funded through the Fab Feedly Partnership. We were able to get funding from DIA to do that, which was fantastic. And mm. what I really appreciated about that was there were no strings attached to it. Mm. It wasn't like produce 55 widgets and 50 <laughs> yeah, yeah. sausages or whatever it might be. Yeah. It was like, here's some money. Go and do what you can yeah. to support your community to get through this time. And the Featherstone community wrapped around itself really, really well and just responded. And yeah. people were coming out of the woodwork with their hands up going, hey, what can I do? Yeah. You know, how can I help? And it was just a fantastic place to be. Mm -hmm. And definitely the place I wanted to be during such a challenging time as well. Yeah. And can you take me back maybe a little bit before that when FabTV is being set up and you talked about sometimes we have this expectation of our government or this organization is going to do the things for us and we just sit back and kind of let it happen and then complain mm -hmm. about it. Um, how did you go about the process to set up a new way of thinking and being and working? Yeah, I think it stemmed from the way the Fenston community regarded itself at the time. So in the South Wadadapa, we're part of South Wadadapa District Council. There are three towns, there's Featherston, Greytown and Martinborough. Greytown and Martinborough have been the place, traditional places of the place you go on the weekend, for example. If you live in Wellington, yeah. you go across the Martinborough to the wineries or you go to Greytown for the yep. shopping or, or whatever. Featherston <laughs> was the place you went through, you know. <laughs> and Featherston, we regarded ourselves, or well, the community regarded itself as the poor third cousin to the, the other two communities. And I think there was a bit of a change of view that came along, but people were just getting sick of that. And realizing that unless we actually did something for ourselves, nothing would change. So I know when I first um, came to this community, which was in 2008, we moved over from Upper Heart. 
Mm-hmm. We were surprised at the apathy that was in the community at the time. Right. It, was, it was just this community. It was like, oh, well, you know, all the investment's going to go into Martin Barrett or Greytown. We'll just, right. we'll just have to take what we It's get. just how it is. Just how yeah. it is. What we noticed in more recent years was a bit of a changing face to our community. So more people moving into the community from some of the bigger cities, um, probably wanting lifestyle changes. We were relatively cheap from a purchasing property perspective. Yeah. So we were affordable. So a lot of young families coming in. We noticed a lot of that um, rental rental properties we had were being sold to owner occupiers. So there was a bit of a changing face to our community. And I think the people that came in just had a bit of a drive to actually <laughs> do things a bit differently. Yeah, right. So when, when we formed Fair Feather, it was before we even were successful in getting the partnership with the DIA. And it was about the community just wanting to be more self-sufficient and not not waiting for council to do stuff for us. Yeah. It was like, well, actually, let's just get it done. A really good example was we had an issue with young people um, causing a bit of trouble, nothing major, but just boredom resulting in a bit of acting out, nothing to do. So we worked with a local youth provider type person who was, (laughs) who was working with a bunch of young people in the community at the time. And we felt that if we gave the youth something to do or a place to be that was affordable and accessible, then maybe that might help with just changing their views and attitudes about, you know, what they could do for themselves. So we approached the council to say, can we have free swimming at our local swimming pool? And the council were a bit reluctant to start with and said, well, you know, actually, if we do that for you, we're going to have to do it for the other two towns. And we went back and said, actually, we don't care about the other two towns, to be frank, this is about (laughs) our community. Um, What do we need to do? You know, do we need to pay? And they gave us a figure of a few thousand dollars is what it cost them to run the the swimming pool system for um, a, a summer. So we raised the money right. and paid it to council so we <laughs> could have free open access to our swimming pools. And it was great. And we had heaps of kids turning up. They weren't getting into mischief. They were down at the pools all through the summer. And it was one of those times when we actually did have a summer, not like one we've just had. And you know, kids were busy socialising down at the pools, just having a great time. Funnily enough, the following year, the council offered free swimming to everyone in the region, which to us is a win. Yeah. We showed a bit of leadership as a community. It was terrible. The council then realized the value of that across the district. And now all three pools, well, there's more than three pools in the Wairarapa, of course, but the three council-owned pools in the South Wairarapa are all free. Yeah. Free swimming for the summertime. So, you know, it was like, yeah, no brainer. Showed you the power of... Getting yeah, together and saying, this is what we want. This is what we need. Yeah. yeah. And I think not taking no for an answer as well. It's going, well, actually, you know, give us, give us your arguments about why not. And we will find a, res- a solution to every one of those arguments. And that's what we were able to do. Um, and that sort of then continued on into our the work that, that has been done within our community. So a lot of building of community groups and community groups meeting to do particular things within the community. Another example is this fantastic swimming hole we have called Bucks Road. A group of community people have gone up there regularly. They clean it up. They garden it. They make sure that there's plenty of um, 
rubbish bins available or if there is rubbish it's taken away all of that sort of thing so that that's just a, a very small example but it's just a group of community people not waiting for council to do it yeah. not waiting for yeah. doc to do it because it's actually on doc land just yeah. getting in and doing it and just going yeah actually we're really proud of this little part of our community so let's just make it the best yeah. place it could possibly be for people that want to use it and you know it's it's there's lots of examples of that sort of approach being taken by our mm. community just to just to get stuff done yeah, yeah. I really hear this change in belief coming in, sparked by some new people coming into the area and just going, actually, we can control our own destiny in some of this stuff. So let's just get in and make it happen. And you've been talking about the support from the DIA. I'm going to muck the name up. What is it? Community Led Development Partnership Program. Yeah. Can you share more about what that has meant to you, having that partnership? It's just cleared the way for stuff to happen. So mm -hmm. there's funding available. What Fed has been able to do is apply for pots of money to support various community initiatives. A bike track got built on Featherstone school grounds for kids to learn how to ride their bikes. Mm -hmm. Part of that was also a, a skills track. So you've got the big round track, then you've got a little oh, yeah, skills yeah. track with ramps and you name it. <laughs> Another part of that was putting a shipping container there with bikes that people could come and use if they didn't have a bike. And a little workshop area where people could come and fix their bikes if they needed to. Yeah. And that was all funded through, not hopefully through the DIA Community Led Development Partnership Fund, but primarily through that. And mm -hmm. the local Rotary chipped in with some money and NZ Post donated a whole lot of old bicycles. Mm. So there was, it was like a, a whole lot of different groups coming together and pooling the yeah. resources. So we have this great little initiative going in the community now. Yeah. And it means that people that don't have access to a bicycle suddenly do have access to a bicycle. Yeah. Kids learn how to ride a bike, which is a good thing, rather than being stuck in front of their screens or devices all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's another example of the community just coming together and yeah. doing it to meet a community need. Yeah. yeah. And you talk about clearing the path. So there's, you know, I'm hearing this barrier of funding and actually we just need something to be able to make that happen. What other kind of barriers are there for you know, a community of people trying to make good things happen? Yeah, there's a bureaucracy of local government red yeah. tape, of course. A good example is a fence on the main road around our information centre needed painting and the, uh, the local youth group was quite, quite happy to paint it for the community, but you know, health and safety requirements and uh, permission and, and all of that stuff mm. got in the way. And eventually we got through that, but just the red tape that we needed to chew through to make that happen mm -hmm. was, was ridiculous, to be honest, for mm -hmm. something so simple. So that's the sort of thing that gets in the way. And what the, the fencing community has now started doing is just not asking for permission. It just yeah. asks, asks for forgiveness, you know, yeah. and quite often things just happen. And somebody goes, oh, who did that? And, and it's sort of like, well, we don't know, but yay, it got done. You yay, know? there's now a new mural. Let's just celebrate that. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Yeah. And so, yeah, the community has realized that actually, if you wait to get permission for everything, and I'm not talking about breaking the law, by the way, we're very careful about that. Mm. Um, but if you wait to work through all of that bureaucracy and red tape, sometimes it wears you down and you just don't get anything done. If you just go ahead and get stuff organized and do it yourselves, you can achieve some fantastic things. Yeah. Have you ever had any situations where you've gone, oh, actually, maybe we shouldn't have done that? Or does it just um, resolve itself? 
well, generally speaking, if the sky doesn't fall down, it's all good, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that's our reality that if you put into perspective, what it is you're trying to do, what the potential risk could be. Yeah. When you, when you boil it right down, actually the risks are quite minimal or the risks are manageable. As long as yeah. you're sensible about things and you're not doing dumb stuff. It's, it's important, obviously, to make sure people have health and safety is, is a thing that they do um, take mind or are mindful of. But at the end of the day, when you boil it right down, the, the, the uh, potential for the risk to happen is actually generally quite minor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, firecrackers and guns and knives and, you know, it's a lot of stuff. It's, it's pretty basic, low yeah. risk things, um, but yeah. it, it works really, really well. And yeah. if the community feels like they've got a say and got involvement and, and got a bit of control, then they tend to be pretty careful about what they're doing anyway. They don't want to ruin it for everyone else. So, yeah, yeah, I've noticed that as a real change in our community that we just get mm. on and get stuff done now. <laughs> yeah, we don't sit there and, and moan and grizzle about why why isn't someone else doing this this should be done yeah yeah, yeah. and you're coming to the end of a partnership with the dia and that was for five years and it's been extended by a year mm. i'm interested in that transition point and how you see yourself standing on your own without that formal partnership yeah uh, well as i mentioned before i, I stepped away from fed for the this different uh, group last year okay. but you know, I do keep in touch with what's going on there. What yeah. the group's been really successful in doing is forming groups within the community, and those groups are up, up and running now and just doing stuff anyway. Yeah. And um, the funding isn't necessarily the the issue anymore. It's just yeah. they, they will fundraise to get things done or they'll, they know that they can apply to the DIA for some <laughs> specific funding for various initiatives if, if needs be. Mm. But generally speaking, they just get on and get it done. And mm. these groups are up and running. They're, they're, um, they know how to run themselves. They're, they're not reliant on a third party like Fab Fiddy coming in and running yeah, it for okay. them. So Fab Fiddy's right. sort of been like a seed funding yeah. organization, I suppose, and just put that investment in up front. But then the groups yeah. have actually continued on and they're, they're, they're just doing some great stuff themselves. And, and mm. they, you know, they go off and do whatever they, whatever they do. Yeah. So you're the seed funding and the greenhouse. And yeah. then once you, you've grown up, actually, you don't need the greenhouse. Get rid of it and you're a thriving plant and you're able to do stuff on your own. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. And it's been really surprising. Um, it's just opening people's eyes that actually stuff is ab absolutely doable. So, mm. so those perceived barriers that were there, just sort of get rid of those or get rid of that perception that you yes. can't. And once people realize, oh, actually, we can, they're off. You know, it's like, <laughs> I did that. Yeah. You go for it. And, yeah, yeah, just don't hurt anyone. <laughs> but there's lots of little groups around the community now that just do stuff, yeah. and you know they support each other and and they're there. And, and in times of crisis, you know that those groups will step up and yeah. support the people around them as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story, Tracy. I've heard from Megan Courtney from Inspiring Communities. I've heard about this partnership fund that I've never really heard in detail of what it looks like and, mm -hmm. and how that's enabled you to change. What I'm really hearing is changing the perspective about what is possible and who is allowed to take action. And I can see how that's yeah, been really powerful. And 
I'm also interested to explore your mahi, your work with REAP, because I think a lot of people listening might have heard the name and you know, vaguely know of something to do with rural education and maybe not much more than that. And you know, I think it's really interesting. You mentioned before how it's you know, got started under a previous government 40 years ago, and then there are some areas where there are REAPs and there are others areas where there aren't, and that's maybe a bit random. And yeah, I, I guess I'm interested maybe first, just how has, have REAPs as a, as an institution, how have they developed over those 40 years? Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting space. I'd, I'd actually never really heard of REAPs before going to work for one. I'd, I'd sort of yeah, right. heard about it on the periphery, but that was about it. Yeah. It really it's the same as me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be true for most people unless they've engaged with a REAP or something specific and then even then that person's frame is based around that particular engagement so if you're um, in a rural community and you participate in a parent-led play group and the REAP comes along and helps with that that's your frame of yeah yeah REAPs do parent play groups yeah Yeah. full stop or REAPs will do stuff and they'll support kapahaka in schools or they run um, night classes for um, digital literacy. And, and if, if that's your only interaction with a REAP, then that's what you think the REAP's all about. But the reality is a REAP's our twinkle to wrinkle. So we, we operate right across. Uh, there are no boundaries where we don't operate. But it mm. is with that lens of lifelong learning and education across it. So we like to say that what we do is we work with our communities to uh, identify their needs. So that's you know, community-led principles going into that. They tell us what they need and what they want. And the REAPs are the go-to people to try and make that happen. And if the REAP can't do it themselves, they'll find somebody who can. Yeah. And so quite often the REAP is um, a broker of solutions for a community. Or they'll work with another organisation that's already operating in the community to support them to, to reach more people or to um, do things in a, in a way that works best for a community. So we're pretty pretty broad about what we do. But it is with the lens of lifelong learning um, in the education context across it. In the adult um, education space, we're funded through the government, through the Tertiary Education Commission for adult community education funding. But that's not the only stuff we do in that space. So REAPs will do things at a local level as well as the, the funding contract we have at a national level with the TEC. An example might be a number of REAPs work with councils around Mears Tassels for Jobs funding. And they work in that space of getting people into employment and they're localized contracts or they might get funding through a local philanthropic trust or something to do a particular yeah yeah um but at the end of the day it always comes back to meeting community need Mm -hmm. and working with community who identify what their needs are so it's Mm -hmm. that whole not parachuting stuff on top it's (laughs) taking that community-led development approach to then meeting those community needs and working with community to build capacity and capability so they can meet their own needs in mm. the future. You know, the ideal world for REAPs is that we don't exist because we've done our job and we have communities that are able to do everything they need to do and have access to everything that they need to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard someone sure. refer to that being a biodegradable initiative. So yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you, you yeah. get started not with the idea of we're going to build this organization that's going to last forever and solve all the problems, but it's more, we're going to 
be here and be as useful as we can while we're needed. And then once we're not needed, great, we'll disappear again. Yeah. Mm. And, and reps are pretty good at recognizing that. So they'll never compete in a community with another organization for the same pot of money or the same right. people. If a community already has an existing service yep. in there, they'll support it. So we like to say we're yeah. complementary and supplementary. <laughs> but if there's a gap, we'll fill it. Or we'll find somebody who can fill it, you know. So that's yeah. that's the thing. It's a different space to be in, in tertiary mm. education in particular. I find, yeah, it can be a very competitive space, but reaps just yeah. don't compete. <laughs> nice. Just change the rules, play a different game. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. 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 And I'm imagining in the last few years, the need for what REAPs do has been more intensive, you know, COVID and then, yeah. you know, some of the climate related situations as well. And it sort of strikes me, there's this, there's this double-edged sword, I don't know what to call it, but the need for the kind of support that REAPs provide is, is becoming more intense. And I'm presuming that at the same time, it's probably for some people getting harder to justify spending and investing in those areas because they're going, oh, the financial environment that we're in is even more constrained. And so I'm just wondering, you know, how do you portray a message about the difference that you're making in the changing environment that we're in? Yeah, good question. And it's one of those topics that I really start to rant about. Yeah, look, one of the biggest frustrations for me is the way funding, the funding drives behavior in everything we do. And as REAPs, we try not to be driven in that way. So our role is to meet community need, as I said, and we try and do that in whatever way works for communities. But when your funder says, we want you to produce 25 sausages, you've sort of got that tension sitting there. Surely no funder says... We need you to produce 25 sausages. Well, not oh, sausages, wow. obviously. I use sausages as a bit of an analogy, but okay. <laughs> yeah, no, never sausages. <laughs> an example might be a funder which says we want you to support a hundred places for driver licenses and we'll okay. pay, we'll yep. pay on completion of that license or achievement yep. of that license. The reality is for some people, it's not a straightforward, do your theory, right. get your license. There's a no. lot of time and investment required. To support those people through that process. Yeah. And for many, it, it can often be access. Uh, and if you're thinking rural communities, which is where we exist, um, if, you're, if you're living out the back of Tuturamuri in the Wairarapa, which is a good hour and a half away from Masterton, which is the only place you can go and sit your letters license, then there's an access issue. So yeah. the work of the REAP is to try and make or clear the way for people to have access to those things that if you live in a city, are way easier, way easier. So yeah, but when your funder says, well, we're only going to pay on completion of that license and you're It's not recognizing the huge value that you're providing in different ways. There might be literacy and numeracy that you need to work with someone on. Yeah. People, they might, they might not have a place to live. They need a license to work because in a rural community, you, you basically need a driver's license to do just about everything. In public transport, it doesn't exist in the same way that it does in the big urban centres. Mm. So, you know, driver licensing is a really good example of it's not just a simple case of sit your license, get your license, and here's some yeah. money to do that. There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to happen in the lead up to that. And, you know, for some people, confidence is a big thing, or having access to a warrantable vehicle to learn to drive in is an issue. Mm. And if you're living in, the, in a rural community at the back of beyond, 
and you don't have a driver's license, how are you going to get from that place to go in to sit your license in the first place unless somebody can take you or you drive illegally, which is often the, the case. So there's great examples around the country of um, reps partnering with the police, mm. police referring people that they've picked up on driver licensing offence to the REAP, go and work with the REAP, get your license so you become a legal driver giving people compliance to do that. So not putting them through the justice system unnecessarily. You know, there's lots of research that says the first, a lot of people that are in the justice system now, their mm. first interaction was a traffic offence. Yep. yep. And, you know, locally, well, at a local level, police are pretty good at understanding that actually if they can not go down that track, then they're, yeah. they're less likely for a person to stay in the system. So supporting a person to get their licence is a, it's a really smart move. And giving them compliance together and being reasonable, reasonable about that compliance time too. So now we hear about compliance often being 28 days, but in a rural community, to even be able to book and to get your license, it can be three months down the track because <laughs> that's the next what's available. So yeah, you, know, you have some reasonable uh, judgment being made as well by, by the police, for example, who give compliance that might be an 80-day compliance or something mm -hmm. like that, which is far more realistic and reasonable. I'm hearing from you. You know, you're sharing a lot about the realities of what rural community life is, which when you're a policy advisor sitting in Wellington, you know, can be quite hard to understand, even with your best intentions. And Lovely. I was also hearing from you the constraints that are around you sometimes where the funding directs you in a certain way. And yeah, you, you mentioned, oh, I'm going to rant on this one. What? How do you work through things when you're at that stage and you just want to smash your head against the wall because this frustrating constraint is just driving you bonkers? How do you manage that? I suppose I use storytelling as a way to, to show decision makers and policy makers that actually there is a different way. And sometimes it just requires the system, I won't say take a leap of faith because I don't believe it is a leap of faith. I think there's plenty mm. of evidence out there that shows if you take a trauma investment approach and you really care about the outcomes you want to achieve, it doesn't matter how the journey goes to get there or how the money is spent to get there, as long as you get there at the end of the day. We had a, um, a, an example last year, well, sorry, 2021, 22, with a government agency that decided to take a bit of an investment approach with the work of REAPs and it was to support communities that had been hard hit by COVID and the outcomes of COVID or the, the yeah. consequences of COVID, I suppose. Yeah. And they, they bulk funded the re network. So they gave us $260,000, which was split between the 13 reaps. So every, every rep got 20 grand. Yeah. And basically the government agency said, uh, we, we, we put forward a, an argument to say, well, actually don't tell us how to spend that money. Let us spend the money on what best works for our communities that we're working with. And they were prepared to do that. And at the end of the day, well, that $260,000, 4,500 people were engaged with by REITs. And that mm. was through a range of ways, your digital literacy programs, access to the internet, which is a big issue for many yeah. rural agencies, yeah. driver licensing support, so teaching somebody actually how mm. to drive, not just sit your learner's license, <laughs> providing food packages or medical mm. supplies through to... Events where older people who were socially isolated could come together, whether it was in an, in an online environment or in a physical environment, where they could just drop in 
and spend some time with other people. And, you know, they were living by themselves. They were socially isolated. So 4,500 people benefited from that. Yeah, you multi you divide that into two hundred and sixty thousand, you're looking at fifty bucks a person. Yeah. Talk about fantastic investment. You know. Yeah. And I this is where I do get a bit preachy about these things. But for me, that was a really good example of a leap of faith being taken by a government agency and some fantastic outcomes being mm. achieved. And what I do say to officials around those sorts of conversations is judge us on what we achieve with it. And if if we haven't achieved the outcomes, then absolutely. There, there should be repercussions for that. But don't tell us how to spend the money, like how many sausages to build, to make. Yeah, yeah, you know, I come back yeah. to that analogy. For, for my way of thinking, it's not about how many sausages you delivered. It's the quality of what the sausages were that you did deliver. You know, and were they edible? And did people get poisoned? Or, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a crazy analogy. <laughs> I, I quite like it. But, but you get the point. It's, it's not about being prescriptive about how money needs to yeah. be spent. It's about, well, here's the outcomes we want to achieve with that. And if the outcomes are safer drivers in our community and people driving on the correct license, then you can measure that stuff. Yeah. Now, there's lots of proxies for success that you can measure. There's a, a really good piece of work being done with ACE Aotearoa at the moment, working with Impact Lab around exactly what I'm talking about, mm. is measuring the return on investment in the adult community education sector. Mm. And it's focusing on... What are those proxies of success? So mm -hmm. at the moment, the Tertiary Education Commission funds adult community education, or ACE, ACE yeah. funding. And the reporting goes um, along the lines of this many courses were run, this many people yep. participated, this is what they looked like. Who knows what the policy is? <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. always my argument. It's like, fantastic. Last year. You left with the, the question, so what? So what? Yeah, yeah. In 2022, REAPS collectively supported over 9,000 people to participate in ACE courses, ran over 1,100 courses. And they were a range of topics from driver licensing through to life skills, work ready skills, te reo Māori, language mm. development, sign language, you name it, we didn't. Was it good stuff? You know, who knows? Well, I, I know it was good stuff because we take the time to look at that and measure that stuff. But in terms of what the TEC see, they mm. see just, here's the numbers and here's how many participated. Mm -hmm. They have no idea whether or not that was actually a good investment. So my argument back to officials is always about, be really clear about what it is you're wanting to achieve with this, not how you achieve it. Mm. And just pushing that message all the time. And it's it's getting there. It's, we're slowly getting there, but it's a, it's a big mountain to climb up. <laughs> we'll get yeah. there. Yeah. I, I've got yeah. to say, when I worked at the TEC, one of my roles was about developing operational policy for the industry training sector. One of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life is when I went to work for an ITO and had to implement the policy that I got. <laughs> and I was like, Who what was I thinking? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. don't know what I was thinking, but man, this, mm. is, this is unimplementable, if that's even a word. So that was a, that's something that I've always mm. kept with me was you have these unintended consequences that pop yeah. out of these things with the best of intentions. But the yeah. consequences are still there. And it's how do you help officials work through that so they still get the outcomes they're seeking without those unintended consequences mm. um, occurring, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You're reminding me of Megan Courtney again, who talks, I think she calls it tight, loose. And so you stay tight to that why. Why are we yeah. doing this? And then you hold really loose to that how. How is it happening? Because within the how, there's all sorts of learning 
all sorts of tailoring to different people sure. and different communities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm stoked to hear that Ace Aotearoa is working with Impact Lab. We had Maria English on the show a wee while back and I think, yeah, they're doing amazing work to help people put a number to things that can often be really intangible and therefore hard to communicate that value to others who haven't been part of it. And if you haven't been part of working in adult and community education, then sometimes it can be hard to see what the tangible benefit is. Yeah. yeah. And, and just the life-changing stuff that, that happens to people's lives in young people's lives. So just the simple act of getting a driver's license can have so many trickle down yeah. effects. You know, you can suddenly, you've got that young fella who was before the courts, no longer before the courts because they're on the right license. They can yeah. get to work. If they've got kids, they, their kids can get to school. Mm. You know, they can get to the doctors. There's all sorts of downstream impact, positive impact. Mm. That's really hard to measure, but you know that simple thing of a driver's license and the investment that that took is going to save millions of dollars down the track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's how do you show that? And that's sort of the work that Impact Lab are doing for ASL Chiroa. It's, it's putting a few of those proxies together, I think, and, sh- and being able to show the decision makers that actually taking an investment approach that's focused on outcomes, not on outputs, is going to reap much better outcomes or for everyone. You know, good investment outcomes, good outcomes for community, good outcomes for individuals, and good outcomes therefore for New Zealand as as a whole. Yeah. So there, there goes the sermon again. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Tracy, I love your sermons. And that's what this show is about, is giving you a platform to share some of the ideas and stories that uh, are powerful. As you said, the power of community coming together and being able to make things happen. So I'm really grateful for this conversation. And I'm also just wondering, it's probably time to start wrapping it up. And I'm wondering if you've got any final things to share with people listening. Um, I suppose my biggest message is community-led and communities doing it for themselves is the strongest possible approach that you could ever take. A community that feels that it's got control, that is self-sufficient, that isn't reliant on somebody else coming in Mm. and doing stuff for them is a strong community and it will look after itself without a doubt. That's my first message. My second message is around investment. So if you're going to invest, invest genuinely in the outcomes that you're seeking, not the way to achieve those outcomes. You'll get much better outcomes and much better investment or return on that investment. The third thing I want to say is REAPs, we're this untapped resource that sits in these rural communities. We're really good at flying under the radar. We've always (laughs) flown under the radar. There's 13 of them around the country. REAP Aotearoa is just a the membership organization they yeah. belong to. Um, but man, they're there. They're there to help within community. So use them. Absolutely mm-hmm. use them. That's what they're there for. And that they're, they're willing to be um, partners with others in the community. Then they're, they're not about competing and they're not about doing to a community. They're about working with a community. Yeah. Oh, Tracy, you've summarized um, the three themes of this episode pretty fantastically. So thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with me. And until next time. Thank you for having me and any time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Consultation. And what now? Well, I've got three suggestions for you. 
Firstly, go and check out the show notes in your podcast player or on the Business Label Learning Lab website so you can see the resources that were shared in the show. Secondly, send a message to our guests. It's really nice when you've been a guest in this slightly nerve-wracking experience and then people get in touch to thank you for sharing your stories and experiences. And lastly, do connect with me on LinkedIn. I view LinkedIn as an ongoing conference. You know, this amazing way to be exposed to new people and new ideas that can stretch and enhance your practice. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you again for listening. Ngā mihi mō te whakaro.